0: Myself, listen. I'm no Lionel Messi, but you've got a young British Asian player who's playing in the stadium where the community live and surround. But yet, there was never anyone that ever watched my games. And I remember whenever there was a corner, I literally scan the stadium, and I would never see any Asian faces.
1: There are more Asians involved in football than you would expect. There are nowhere near as many Asians involved in football as there should be. Join us on the Our Game 2 podcast as we celebrate the ones that are and discuss the ones that aren't. Anwar, so you, after after the Daggers, you I think you had another loan spell then moved over to Barnet. At that time, were you considering going into coaching or did that just happen by accident? What what was the story there?
0: Yeah, I mean, it was a crazy story at Barnet. but I'd done my uh, coaching badges. I started actually doing my coaching badges when I was at West Ham and throughout my career at Dagenham. i have done my UA for B. So I was looking at it as a potential career, but I just wanted to get all my qualifications done so that when I finished... You know, in my mid-30s they were done so that if it was an option if there was an opportunity I had the necessary requirements to to crack on but um at Barnet, everything changed so I had a really nasty injury actually I'll them away and um I, I I sort of I broke my ankle on a Tuesday night and it was snowing um they put me on a stretcher uh, I, I walked around they walked me around the stadium and it was, it was funny because at the Dom Valley Stadium, there was a, a huge stand and there was a huge pile of snow that they'd kind of shoveled away from the, from the pit. And they uh, ran in the stretch and, and they actually dropped me and I fell down and I fell into the snow. And I was like... This could, this could be the end for me because you know when you when you've when you've dropped on a stretcher and your your face is full of snow and you've got a broken ankle this is it don't really get much worse than this so I actually started to think you know what I might have to seriously think about um, life after football so I recovering from injury we we signed Martin Allen as the new manager and he came in mad Dog crazy yeah he came in and- his first meeting i had never spoken to him before this point he um, came into the meeting and i played in the charity game with him once but i didn't really speak to him that day but he's obviously got loads of west ham connections and he came in and um, he addressed the team uh the new manager and he said that my assistant is going to be uh, captain and I-, I didn't know any of this i was like okay but i was injured so i, I couldn't actually play or train so I couldn't do anything. So I was like, oh, this is great. You know, I'm going to be able to sort of get involved in the management because as captain, I was out for what looked like was going to be about six months to a year. So it made sense. So he came in and he said, look, I want your help. I want you to teach me about the group, help me take the sessions, pick the team, etc., etc." So I did. Um, we were kind of struggling. We were second bottom in the league and it was great. And all of a sudden, I remember it like it just about. I, I turned up one morning at half eight, we sat down and he said, um, right, I've got something to say. I'm going to Notts County. Do you want to come? And I was like, I've got a contract for next year. He said, look, you know, I love it here. It's great. But, you know, there's an opportunity to go to Notts County and it's a a great club, great opportunity. And they've offered me a long-term contract, which I haven't got here. So I'm going to go. And all of a sudden, you know, Martin left and you're left in charge. And all of a sudden, it was like, wow, like you've gone from team captain to someone who's now looking after the, the group, taking the sessions, picking a team. And obviously that's jumping into the deep end, but we were bottom of the league. It was my first real opportunity in terms of being in charge, managing. Um, the circumstances weren't great, obviously, bottom of, of League Two, potential relegation to the National League. Um so I just thought, you know what, things can't get any worse. Like, try to improve the morale in the environment, get the boys going. And I just said to the lads, like, listen, if we're going to go down, let's go down fighting. And the club ended up bringing in Giuliano Grazioli, who was a former teammate of mine. And um, I became the uh, assistant manager. Uh, and I absolutely loved the experience because it was the first opportunity about being on the touchline, managing games, making decisions, picking signing players. Um, and we did really, really well in that small spell. We were bottom of the league, we took over. Laurie Sanchez came in towards the end of the season, who was going to be the new manager for next year. And ultimately, we, we stayed up on the last day of the season. And as the uh, you know the official assistant manager at a League Two club, and keeping the team that was bottom of the league up on the last day, wow this is amazing what a great experience and what a fantastic challenge and I loved every minute of it now obviously I'm thinking I'm gonna try and get back and play get fit and go and maybe do another two three years but I really really struggled after that um really bad injury but that gave me a taste and a thirst for management and like I said you know to be the first British Asian to sort of be an assistant manager at the EFL was another thing that I was really proud of and I thought. You know, this is something i really enjoy and i started to then think about my a license which i've now almost completed and i just wanted to go and manage and coach and learn and um and that's what i did after barnet after that barnet experience
1: cool and then so you played on a little bit longer but then did we on that... little, yeah Played
0: on a little bit longer, but everything I did, I went to sat on an Eastbourne borough in the conference south. Because to be honest, it was it was difficult with with the injury, but also I wanted to really think about life after football. So I started to volunteer at the PFA, the Professional Footballers Association. I was going in and delivering equality workshops for first team. So I was I, I saw the Arsenal first team, the first team like I was going from the way down into league two so after training i'd go in and talk to players around what equality is the work of kick it out the pfa show racism the red card i really really enjoyed that i also delivered anti-racism education for show racing the red card delivering to students at university primary secondary school i'd go around the country doing workshops at football clubs with show the red card i really threw myself into that kind of work around diversity because I was extremely passionate about that positive change. I felt like I had a unique career. I experienced so much that the lack of Asian question just kept coming up, that the issues of racism, homophobia and other forms of discrimination were still prevalent within the game. So I just utilized my time to play part-time, start doing my badges and and getting out there and, and doing some work. And I ended up, managing Morden and Tiptree with Alan Kimball, the former uh, Wimbledon crazy gang left back, which I loved. I I ended up taking on the management spot at Sporting Bengal, which was my local club. I went on from Sporting to Ware and then to Glebe. But all all these clubs I did at a lower level because I was concentrating on a career in inequality. I wanted to really try and make an impact. And I felt like... If I could do that, as well as learn and take on these challenges, I mean, Sporting in Bengal, uh, the year before I took over, finished bottom of the Essex Senior League. You know, I love that club because they're a community club that was, was, was created to sort of give young Asian players an opportunity to play senior football in East London. So, you know, that is, is, I thought was brilliant. And I thought it would be great for me to go in there, have a positive impact, help build an infrastructure and a foundation for the club moving forward. But also from a selfish perspective, I wanted to learn. I wanted to improve as a manager. I wanted to make mistakes and develop. And I think when you talk about the lack of Black and Asian managers across the country, and and there is a lack of them, for me, it's about opportunity. And I just wanted to manage and coach. And I didn't really care about the level because ultimately, it's about development. And wherever you go, you're going to pick things up. You're going to make mistakes. And listen, if you're going to make mistakes, it's better to make mistakes at a level where – you know, you haven't got 10,000 fans watching your every move. Um, so I developed as a coach and a manager at all these clubs. And I was you know, grateful for the opportunities that they gave me to do so, as well as, you know, doing all the work for the PFA, kick it out and erasing the red card. So while I was doing that, I was extremely busy. And then an opportunity came up to, to join the Football Supporters Association and start a campaign from scratch. Which which I got, I accepted, and uh, I created the fans for Diversity campaign.
1: Just before we explore that a little bit more, what we haven't talked about, you haven't mentioned, was as a player, did you what did you receive any kind of abuse or or any issues either from other players, other fans, even I guess the support support admin staff at other clubs.
0: I mean. As, as a player, you know, I was privileged to play in stadiums all over the country. Um, there were issues or incidents where you'd hear things from certain fans. Um, but that stuff like that never really, I think, was the major issue. The biggest disappointment throughout my career. And I was fortunate because, you know, I, I never experienced the amount of negativity and never really had... The amount of incidents that, that that I know some players have had throughout their career. But the disappointing f- thing for me was the, the lack of understanding um, among my own teammates, among my own changing rooms, in the environments that I was at all the time, terminology, the words people used, offensive, inappropriate use people used. And it was just like, I often wondered, especially as a younger player, like, Do people not realise that these words are offensive? Do people not realise that that's actually inappropriate and actually the wrong term to use to describe someone? Do people not realise that making jokes and having laughs around people's identity is wrong? And that, that was prevalent within the game. And that's why, like, for me, I always wanted to be in an environment and create an environment where it was inclusive and welcoming to everyone. So whoever I had in my squad, be it Muslim, Jewish, gay straight old young you felt welcome you felt at home because if you feel happy in your environment that's conducive with a better performance when you're happier you're going to play well you're going to work harder and and maybe people people have often said that's that's probably why they they made me a captain because you know I went into a changing room and I, if I felt things were wrong I made sure I was vocal about it I challenged it and I and I made sure that that wasn't going to happen here Um, not just because obviously it offended me or or, or didn't offend me, but ultimately the best environments are those environments where it's welcoming, inclusive. And I'm not saying, listen, anyone who's played the game knows that the changing room is an unbelievable place. It's, you know, there's banter, you know, there's camaraderie, there's laughter, you win together, you lose together, there's highs, there's lows, but that should be a place that you are comfortable in because you're there every single day. So for me, now, the biggest disappointment um, for me was 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 the sort of experiences around that the lack of understanding. Now, it used to annoy the hell out of me when people used to use an incorrect term and then look at me and go, oh, "Sorry, sorry." You know, Why are you apologising for? Like, right? just don't say a word like that because it's extremely offensive. And what if I wasn't here for you to apologise? Would that mean you'd continue to say a word like that? And those sorts of things uh, were a disappointment. But you know, I'm encouraged by the fact that. You know, as I grew older, things did change for the better. There was a more, more of an understanding. Um, and that's because I think people are, are a little bit more educated around diversity and inclusion. People embrace difference a little bit more. And there's been more diversity within the playing staff, within the admin staff and football clubs now. So people understand, you know, that, you know, what it's like to have Muslim players come over from France or you know, different countries uh, in Africa, for example, um, so it's about difference. It's about embracing difference, and ultimately, everyone's in a football environment to play for the team for the best uh, will in the world, and they everyone's heading towards the same direction. So, yeah, that was that, that was a snapshot of, of some of the experiences that I, I faced.
1: Okay, F- fantastic. Thank you for that. So, oh, I'm curious now. So you've so you're now. Doing a role for the fsa and you're working for Aldershot shot is it and you sound happy you sound like you're you're i mean obviously not with the fact that football isn't perfect et cetera but you sound content within yourself and you're enthused about everything that you're doing is that because you f- you feel you 've got a good balance and if push comes to the shove in the future, do you think you'd be able to choose between coaching and management? and the inclusivity and diversity work you're doing, or do you think you would continue to try and lead a life that's got a balance?
0: To be honest, it's, it's embedded in me. It's who I am. It's everything I do. So you know, when people talk about a choice, it's not a choice. It's, it's who I am and what I do. So if I was, for example, the manager of Nottingham Forest or Crawley Town, I would still do as much as i could for organizations that want to um, make football a better place if i was a full-time member of staff at the fa the premier league the fsa kick it out whatever organization in football and a local team asked me to help them coach their under 12s or 13s i would do that as much as possible, as well, because I love football. I love what I do, and you know, if you're organised and, and 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 you know you've got you've got purpose to everything you do, anything's achievable. Um, listen, I've got an amazing family, and I love spending time with my family, and it's important to me. But ultimately, you know, there's a lot of, of work that needs to be done. And um, like I said, over the years, I've I've heard so much about what needs to be done. I've heard so many ideas. I've heard so many plans. I've heard so many things about what can be done and what should be done. But I think there's not enough people that that are implementing this change. And, um, you know, I definitely want to be one of those people that implement that change. I want to be one of those people that can help. Um, And I enjoy doing what I do. The minute I stop doing it and I stop enjoying it, then things will change. But... You know like I said if you're in a position where you've got to, you've gotta make a decision between two unbelievable things like what a place to be so
1: yeah yeah there is that fair enough okay so first of all briefly we've all the shot is what's the the plan is there is there a plan to get back into the football league
0: what are we do that's yeah ultimately that's that's the plan I mean we uh, we took over at the club myself and Danny saw the manager. Uh, after the club had been relegated in the National League so we took over we got the job in the summer and we were actually a conference South National League South team so we were preparing for a, a year in that division with a small budget um, but an exciting club huge club former football league club amazing fans amazing place uh, three weeks before the start of the season we, we hear that Gateshead went bust and we got a reprieve so we were going to be a National League South side, and and all of a sudden now we're a National League side, which was absolutely fabulous. But last year was a big challenge in making, it stayed in the division, stabilising our position in the National League, and progressing. We achieved that, and and this year it's about progress. But it's an unbelievable football club. The chairman, the board here are amazing people. Uh, they've been in the football league. You know, it's if you're in Aldershot, you live in Aldershot, you're around Aldershot. It's all about the football club. And, um, you know, I've got to say, like, I posted a picture on my Instagram recently because the first day I came here, the first game we had, I stepped out on the left was a huge Bangladeshi flag in the east bank of the stadium. And, like, to me, that meant everything. You know, I'm sure around the stadiums in England, there's not many Bangladeshi flags that are, you know, flying high in the stadiums, but there is one here at Aldershot. And everyone who comes to watch a game here, home and away fans, they see that there's a, there's a big blanket that she flagged that's flying high. And um, you know the fact that the club have given me the opportunity to be the assistant manager, you know, the fans have put a flag out on that pitch uh, for all to see. It's it, it really, really good. And listen, I love doing what I do. It's a challenge. But, you know, uh, we had Chesterfield on Tuesday night, you know, standing on the touchline, you know, in a stadium like that against a team like that is is what it's all about so this I still feel like I'm learning I still feel like I'm I'm a young coach and manager I feel like I've got a lot to give Um, I'm really excited about about the future because I love this side of the game Um, it's stressful it's ruthless it's difficult but I think all those negatives are outweighed by amazing positives when you pick up three points, or when you, you know, when you achieve something. And I think we're we're starting to do that here at Aldershot.
1: Just before we move on, I've, I guess I've got to ask you: Are you fairly? Do you feel fairly secure that the club will be able to continue, given the whole COVID pandemic and the and the less number of fans, etc.
0: There's a big issue around that. I mean, there's a lot of uncertainty, which has made this year very, very difficult. In fact, it's unprecedented. I don't know many coaches or managers that have had to deal with the things that we have had to deal with. But you know what? Listen, it is what it is, and you have to deal with it. And this is football. Football throws all sorts of things at you. And if you can deal with it, it makes you better. But a great club to be at. I mean, Now, five years ago, I was trying to convince local lads to come and play for Sporting Bengal on no money, but offering them the opportunity to learn, to develop. Now, five years later, you know, I'm on the phone trying to secure the signing of Ross McCormack, who I think is the championship uh, highest ever goal scorer. So, you know, that's what it's all about. And I think sometimes when you're a young coach for, you know, for a young grassroots team or you're doing something in non-league, sometimes it can be hard because it, you know, financially it's not rewarding sometimes and it can be a lot of work but you know uh, there's opportunity you just never know what's around the corner and um, like I said privileged to be in this position and uh, but I've enjoyed I've actually enjoyed the journey to get here as well you know being a bengal the likes of Malden and Ware and Maidstone uh, Glebe's been fantastic so it's all part of the process and part of, part of the challenge you know if you if you're an aspiring coach or manager, go and take on a challenge. Don't worry about a level. Go and take on a challenge. And if you're good at what you do, you'll do well wherever it is you are, whether it's that, that grassroots team, a, a small local team. But no matter what happens with the challenge that you take, you'll, you'll be better for it. And um, so, yeah, so it's, it, and it's also great to see some of my former clubs doing really well, um, especially sporting Bengal
2: now that I look back.
1: Fantastic. See any questions before we move on to the FSA and the FFD?
2: Yeah, absolutely. Um, you described two journeys uh, on this pod. One was your footballing journey and one's the coaching journey. And on both of them, they're both inspirational in the way that you've talked about the highs and lows, ups and downs, um, and also how you can start from the bottom and work your way up. But uh, what I'm so impressed about is your constant enthusiasm and all the times uh, i've spoken to you in the past uh, and even hearing it now in, in in the kind of hindsight of looking back on your your career so far you've always had this positivity and and this drive forward but what what's what's been key to that
0: i think it's the option the reality i mean don't get me wrong you know I'm positive now because i'm sitting here and i'm quite proud of where i am um, having retired and having to start a whole new career But it it was difficult and you just got to have no fear because, you know, when you go and manage a club, you never manage a club that's in a good environment, that's doing well. You manage a club because they haven't done well. The manager's been sacked. They haven't won in 10 games. They have no money. There's problems that they need you to fix. And when when you take on a role like that, and I'm not talking about National League, I'm talking about any team at any level. You go into an environment that's difficult, it's hard. Um, You've got to get players on side. You've got to develop them. You've got to have a philosophy and then imprint that into your team. You've got to win. You've got to lose and learn from losing. Um, And don't get me wrong, listen, I'm positive, but I've been in some dark places. And, you know, I've played over 300 games in the football league. The only opportunity that I got was to manage my local team, Sporting Bengal. You know, I was talking to clubs. I I put my CV in for a few clubs. And after, you know, coaching and managing at Barnet in League Two and keeping them up, uh, which was a big challenge, I felt that I could potentially get an opportunity. But um, I always had opportunities, but they were opportunities that came to me. The opportunities that I searched for and looked for uh, and I potentially flirted with. They never come, and maybe that was because they weren't full time. Um, you know, West Ham United, for example, when I retired, Tony Carr phoned me up and he said, um, I just bumped into one of your teammates and he told me you retired. I said, Yeah, I've, I've had an injury. I'm really, really struggling. I want to concentrate on my coaching. And Tony Carr was amazing. He said, Listen, if you want to concentrate in your coaching and you want to be a football coach, and well, there's only one place you can learn and do that, and that's at West Ham United, I'd love you to come back join the Academy, develop our players, and I'd like to help develop you. And, you know, I've missed that bit out, but I went to West Ham um, as soon as I retired for a year in the Academy. But obviously, when the opportunity came to work with the FSA, I couldn't do both because they were both full-time. So, you know, the fact that West Ham asked me to, to come in and be part of their Academy was amazing. <coughs> and I learned so much from that experience. But, you know, then going to Sporting Bengal, it's like the polar opposite. So one 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 month I'm at West Ham United, I've got all the gear and I'm taking sessions at Rush Green and Chadwell Heath. You know, three months later, I'm at West uh, Sporting Bengal and, you know, on a Tuesday night, half of a, a 4G pitch. But to be honest, both jobs were rewarding because both jobs was very, very different. But ultimately, you're coaching, you're managing. So no matter where it is or what level, you're doing what you love
1: fantastic um one day i'm going to ask you more questions about tony carr because he is a west Ham legend um okay so the fsa the fsa is before you move on on,
2: uh sorry before you move on i think we're talking about this before the pod started um at old shot town you've got a a gentleman by the name of shahid azim who's got his own um interesting um journey in football as well um What's your experience of Shahid being for Yanwar?
0: Yeah, it's been great with me. Um, It's interesting because I actually got to know Shahid and Aldershot before I joined as assistant manager. So with my day job at Fans for Diversity, we did a lot of stuff with the club. They have a huge Nepalese community here at Aldershot. They've got a great link with the army. So we kind of done some Fans for Diversity activity with the community in the club. And, you know, we always kept in touch and Shaheed's a great guy with some, you know, a great journey and a great story. Someone I'd definitely recommend you get on the pod. But um, when Danny Searle got the job and he offered me the job, it was it was a club that I knew well and yeah, really excited to, uh, to get involved. But Shahid is a, is a chairman of a football club from an Asian background. You know, he's got a, a great journey to tell and um, like, it's great to see someone like him in this kind of position.
2: Go on, see. Follow up question. No, I think I'm going, to, I'm going to leave it there because I want people to not f- ask us about Shahid. Actually, I think, like um, okay. I said, he's someone so we need to get on. I mean, you can you can cut this bit out, but um, it, if we can if we can get him on, um, that's definitely worth exploring uh with him because he's yeah. i'm sure you know about his background and well that he, he was a trainee at old old shottown town years and years ago when he's like a teenager and he's always been involved in football uh was in non-league especially in in the area that he's in with guildford and uh Wilking as well before moving to old Shottown. town so i just feel like we could probably speak another half hour, hour on that but um that story is best told by the guy himself, I think.
1: Cool. And listen, there, there aren't many Asian owners of football clubs. So yeah, definitely. Let's we'll, let's see what we can do to get him on. Okay. So Anwar, you mentioned your day job, which which is an interesting phase. So do you want to tell us about that? So it's the Fans for Diversity work you're doing at the FSA, which is the Football Supporters Association. Is that right?
0: Yes. So... I lead on the Fans Diversity Campaign. It's a campaign that I created five years ago. So, the Football Supporters Association, who are a democratic group of football fans, they are the voice of football fans. They are an organisation that wants to be able to understand the thoughts and feelings of football fans and be able to challenge the governing bodies, help the governing bodies to basically make football as best as it can be, and actually just give fans the opportunity to, to make their voices heard. So over the last few decades, they've done loads of work around safe standing, ticket pricing, and all the issues that, that football fans face on a day-to-day basis. We do loads of stuff around the world in terms of when England travel away, we look after international fans when maybe like the likes of Liverpool's or your Chelsea's going to Champions League. So Great organisation that do so much work for football fans that are run by football fans, um, and you know that discrimination, uh, diversity, equality—these are all the buzzwords. These are all the conversations that you hear about all the time. And the FSA wanted to really make sure that fans were part of that discussion because often it's about well, football's not an inclusive environment, not an inclusive place. Why is that? And sometimes, and a lot of times, it's directed at the fans. And um, the FSA wanted to change that, change the narrative of what a football fan is, because over the the years gone by, there's been those stereotypes of what a football fan is. I think that's changed. And uh, they they partnered up with Kick It Out to do something around working with football fans to make the game as inclusive as possible. And they put out a role. I got it and created the campaign and literally from scratch gave it a name, Fans for Diversity. And, We have a small pot of money in year one. And it was just literally about shining a light on the positive aspect of football fans and their actions and behaviours, trying to make the match day as welcoming and as inclusive as possible, connect community with the club, connect the fans with the community, and basically look at some of the issues that we see and we hear about football And ultimately, how can we make sure that the terraces almost, because I don't think it's going to entirely reflect, but almost reflect the communities, the towns and cities in which those football clubs are based. So, you know, five years, the campaign's been going and we've done amazing work. We've set up around 100 new supporter groups. Uh, We're responsible for thousands of people that now watch live football around the country be it their Premier League team, their local team, local non-league team. We've created resources that are, you know, talking about T-shirts, banners, flags, hats, scarves, all with that inclusive kind of narrative, fans of diversity. We've done well over 200 events, and we're just creating a network of football fans that want to make football a better place. And some of the work that we've done has been so powerful. I mean, You know, some of the highlights are groups like the Bangla Bantams, you know, having played at Bradford for about six years. You know, I was always amazed when I used to play there. The stadium is surrounded by, you know, a two mile radius of, I would say, probably around 90 to maybe 80 to 90 percent Bangladeshi, two mile radius of the the stadium. And when I used to play at Bradford, I was amazed because they used to get about 13,000 fans that used to watch their games and never had any visible people from the community actually come into the stadiums and watch. And that always surprised me because I thought to myself, listen, I'm no Lionel Messi, but you've got a young British Asian player who's playing in the stadium where the community live and surround, but yet there was never anyone that ever watched my games. And I remember whenever there was a corner, I literally scan the stadium and I would never see any Asian faces. And um, when I started the campaign, one of the first places I went to was Bradford, um, and they had a massive disconnect, you know, the community and the fans just did not, did did, did did not engage, you know, kids were playing on the streets, the minute football fans came, they went home, football fans came out, they they, they came out, and, you know, I talked to them about their experiences, and you know, some really negative experience, they talked about racism, they talked about songs being sang on the terraces, they talked about bricks through windows, violence, and, and I wanted to change that, because a lot of the kids in the, in the community of Bradford, they had a community centre called Beat that was right next to the stadium. In the mornings on a Saturday, they'd have 200 kids coaching, and they'd have fathers and, and teaching these kids offside or coaching with no qualifications. But yet, across the road was a, a football stadium, a League 2 football stadium that people could see from their kitchen and bedroom windows but had never even been in, never stepped in, but yet love football. Watch match a day, support Liverpool, Arsenal, Manchester United. So... Like, to kind of highlight what the campaign does, we kind of brought that community closer to the club, closer to the fan groups. We created a group called the Bangla Bantams. We would get the community to meet up with fans and watch games once a month, then once a fortnight, then every week, and then the community started to buy season tickets. And all of a sudden, if you go to a Bradford game now and the Bangla Bantams are are there, you know, you've got literally hundreds and people. I'm talking about men women, boys, girls from the Asian community watching, singing, and supporting their local club, which which for me is a magical thing because five years ago that just wasn't the case. So for me, that's a powerful thing, and that's actually tangible change because, like I said, over the years there's a lot of talk, there's a lot of things I've seen and discussions I've had, but in terms of that tangible change, like, where we can say, look at this, Th- this is good, this is what we can do, this is what's what what we can do if we work together and we have a plan. Um, and, and that's what the Fans Diversity Campaign has been doing, and the Bangla Bantams is a success story, but there are so many now groups popping up, there are so many fans that are now more comfortable to watch football, and that's not just solely the campaign, that's the work that clubs are doing, other fans are doing, different organisations are doing. But ultimately, I think if we can contribute even if it's you know a small part of that contribution to positive change and it's fantastic and, and the fans diversity campaign has done exactly that and I'm hopeful that it will continue in that vein and uh, create more groups create more activity more events to just promote um, inclusion and diversity and get all fans on board so not just your British Asian community not just your LGBT plus community all fans, get them to be part of making football a better place. And, and that's what the campaign's all about.
1: I guess COVID hasn't helped in a lot of that, but at the same time, I think people have had to be more creative. So what what other ways have the fans come up with to to represent the clubs and shine lights on, on different aspects of it during the last few months?
0: You know what, the last few months, it's been actually quite... Um, Great, because what's happened is, you know, people have been on furlough or people have had a little bit more time to concentrate on their clubs and their fan groups. Yes, we've not had live football, but there's been loads of activity. You know, a fine example of that is when the um, first lockdown came, it was like, right, all of a sudden no one can watch football and there wasn't any football. So what we decided to do at Fans of Diversity was put on a, um, a FIFA tournament where we asked football fans to represent their club so we'd have someone from Leeds play for Leeds, someone from Manchester United play for Manchester United. And we did like a World Cup tournament and we had fans representing their teams. But the really smart thing about what we did there was we, you know, this is this was all new to me because um, I'm into technology, but I didn't realise how good it could be. We, we, we used a platform called Twitch and we actually, Aired the games. So, for example, we did a draw, and if Leeds played West Ham on FIFA, we, we actually got this platform Twitch, put it live so that people could actually watch their team. So, that, you know, if, if you're a Leeds supporter, you could watch Leeds throughout the tournament. Um, and we did that, and it was amazing. We created a WhatsApp group, and that, that lasted a week. Uh, there's been loads of activity, loads of discussions around kind of how we can stick together, you know, um, help each other. Because you take away football from people's lives. That's a big thing. You know, when you're used to going to watch matches every single week, you're used to meeting friends, discussing who's gonna win a Premier League, who's your best player, who's doing what. You know, they, they take that out of your life. It, it's a big void. So we've tried to fill that with constant Zoom meetings, constant activity, production of new resources, t-shirts, hats, banners, literally just planning for the future. Um, You know, yesterday, I think Charlton Athletic had fans in their stadium for the first time at Aldershot on the weekend. We played Dagenham and Redbridge. We we were allowed, I think, 1,900 fans back in for the first time. So things are are definitely looking to improve. Hopefully that that continues. But the campaign has continued to have a positive effect on football fans and people. So, you know, in, in what has been quite a difficult time, I think it's been important to... To be able to be there for football fans, even if that's just a conversation, you know, even if it's just someone to ring me up and have a conversation with do they think you know Bournemouth are going to get promoted or Liverpool are going to win the league You know, to most people that might might sound like a kind of an irrelevant conversation, but to some that's really, really important. And the campaign is is basically there for all fans, regardless of who you are, the campaign is there to help and support you. And to make sure you have a network, a group of people of like-minded people that want to help, and ultimately make football a better place.
1: Yep, fantastic. I'm I'm not sure if I mentioned it on the pod before, but I'm part of a group called the Bame Hammers. Um, we've got several objectives. One of the one of which is to increase the uh, the percent of the local population that come and watch West Ham. And so we've we've been having conversations around. How we can spend your money, Enwa? Um, <laughs> what, what is is there? A, I mean, okay. Do you want to just tell us about the the Cardiff one? Because I thought that was quite an interesting one. Just in, it's something that I'm not saying it's easy, but it could be a different example that people might be able to hang on to and think actually, maybe I could get involved in something similar.
0: Yeah, no, most definitely. The Cardiff uh little bit of work that we did recently was something very, very recent. So yeah. I had an event. Last year, in I put every year I put on events. Um, and we had one in East London. On a Friday afternoon, we had 300 people attend. And it was a conference to award people that have been doing some great stuff. So we called it the Fans Diversity Conference. And there was a young lad that turned up. He was a Cardiff fan. He's Somalian, Muslim, Cardiff fan. And he and he said, look, I love what you do. And he goes, you know, the reason I've ter- come all the way to London is because I'm a Somalian Cardiff fan. And when I go to the games, I'm very much the only non white person there. Like I literally searched for other Somalian, Asian, black football fans at Cardiff because in Cardiff it's really diverse, but the people within the diverse parts of Cardiff don't go to watch the football. And he's like, it's a great brand of football. He was in the Premier League recently and they you know had some great players. And he said, like, what can I do to change that? So we, we floated around some ideas. And one thing he, he mentioned was that he spoke into the club and they were discussing different ways in which they could do different things. And he was said to me, like in a club shop, there's loads of pictures and in the programs, so there's loads of pictures, but there's no pictures of people from different backgrounds. And, and 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 we discussed that and we sort of looked at why and how and the business perspective and the marketing issue and all that sort of stuff. And he said, How about we go around the city and actually ask those you know, people that work in shops, people are from the diverse backgrounds, do you support Cardiff? And if they do, would they like to have a picture uh, with a Cardiff top on? And he's a photographer, by the way. And um, long story short, we ended up taking pictures of so many Cardiff fans from all different backgrounds. You know, existing Cardiff fans, ticket you know, holders, Muslim women that don't really support football too much, but if they had a team, it's Cardiff and i look out for the scores. You know, shop owners that are Cardiff fans and love Cardiff always check the scores, but never have been to a game because they're not quite sure how to get a ticket or they're not quite sure what it's like. So we did this um, exhibition. We've got 24 pictures done, and um, we've done a video. And obviously, the pandemic hit, but the visual beauty of of, of these pictures, obviously, use of photographer and the pictures are great, but it captures the diversity of the city. People in their own environments, in their houses, in their shops, in the places in, in Cardiff where they, they're from, but they've all got Cardiff tops on. And that kind of shows that, you know what? There are people that are in tune with the club and would like to support the club, but are a little bit hesitant because they've never experienced it. And sometimes it's just about building that bridge between them and the existing fans and the club itself. I guarantee you there's so many people listening to this pod And and people out there from different communities that would actually love to go and watch a football match. I mean, over the last five years with Fans i Diversity, I've I've taken thousands of people to watch matches from the Premier League all the way down to non-league. For many their first time, the majority of people that I've done that with absolutely love the experience and have gone again. So for me, you know what? It's not about forcing people to be football fans. No one wants to do that. But if you like football and you're a football fan and you turn up to a premier league stadium and you walk up those steps and you walk into that part of the stadium when you get a view of the pitch and you hear the noise and the atmosphere i don't know many people that would dislike that feeling and you know what for me to take elderly asian women wearing hijabs young jewish kids you know lgbt plus Boys and girls, men and women, to games for the first time, and and the look on their faces because they absolutely love it. Listen, there's no there's no better feeling than that, and I think it's about building that bridge and and help make that connection, and that's what that diversity is all about. So the Cardiff um, exhibition, which we discussed, I'll be doing a feature on that this 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 month so that'll be on the fsa's website and that will be on my social media so definitely look out for that but that's just a snapshot of an idea and that was all funded by the campaign so if anyone has any ideas around you know trying to encourage people to watch football trying to improve the experience of of people when they're at the match please get in touch because that's that's what we do and that's 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 my job you know, anything we can do to sort of improve that match day and get more people watching local football. And it might not be Arsenal or West Ham. It could be Grays Athletic or Aldershot or, you know, Basildon or Sporting Bengal. It don't matter. We just want football to be unopened. And then people have the choice to, to support a team or not.
1: Fantastic. Yeah, superb stuff. So, I mean, listen, I'm a West Ham fan. I know we've got the Bame Hammers. We've got the Pride of Irons. We've got any old iron, so we're quite well represented. Are there so two questions from that? First of all, are there any sort of does every single club have some kind of diversity within the fan base that is represented by the FSA? And is there something they can check?
0: Yeah, so at the FSA, like it's a membership, so you can join. So anyone who who listens to this can go on our website and, and join as a member. Now, in an ideal world, if you are one that wants to join a supporters club, you might have an existing supporter club at your club. It could be a trust. It could be any any, any support club. You could join them, uh, meet them. Um, everyone supports their clubs differently and all supporter groups are different. Some people meet regularly. Some people meet on match days. Some people want to be involved in the processes of the clubs, you know, looking at how they can help the club, raise money for the club everyone's different and um, ultimately it's about how you want to support your team you know if you want to support your team with like-minded friends and family then and and you feel like you know you don't want to be a part of a group then it's it's your club and you support your club however you want but if if you feel like there's a good reason and there are so many good reasons I mean the Pride of Irons uh, are a great example an LGBT fan group at West Ham that that want to create an inclusive group so that People who may be from that community who may not feel comfortable watching games or may not be sure about, you know, watching games or being at the club or issues of discrimination. There's a group that they can connect with, that they can speak to, people they can help support. And some of these groups that we've created over the country, you've created these groups and all of a sudden you get people from all over the country or fans of that club that will be like, oh, this is really cool. I want to get involved in that. So sometimes it can be an indirect way of getting more people involved in the club and actually watching the matches. But ultimately, one thing I have to say, you know, working with football fans over the last five years has been amazing because the majority of football fans that I work with, all the work that they do around making football better, making it more inclusive, helping the club, they do it voluntarily. And and this has always amazed me because football fans are amazing people and the passion they have for their club is just it's just amazing. And I, I think clubs need to realise that there is so much expertise, passion, and and just genuine support in their stadiums. And a classic example of that is uh, you know, Fabrice Muamba at Tottenham. He had a player who, who had a heart attack on the pitch. I think a person saved his life, a doctor who actually came from the stands. This was a fan that was watching the game. Um, so for me, at any club, at any level, you've got football fans that now, if you wanted some help around Asians in football, the lack of diversity, homophobia in football, discrimination, uh, you know, trying to get more women to watch football, within your fan base, you've probably got people that would, would love to help, would love to be involved in these discussions. So I would encourage all football clubs to sort of tap into that and actually get some expert help from their football fans. And football fans would always go above and beyond for their football club, that's for sure. And they're loyal to their football club. So that's something that I'd encourage all football clubs to do because like I said there's some amazing football fans doing amazing work all over the country trying to make football a better place and hopefully that will have a positive effect on the next generations.
1: Okay and is there are there any clubs that have that you're surprised don't have sort of diverse fan groups or anything like that that people may want to consider sort of creating with the help of the FSA?
0: Listen, for me, there's no, you know, there's no, I wouldn't say, right, you know, you need to have this, you should have this, because like I said, everyone's a team in their own way. So, for example, there are clubs that may not have an LGBT plus fan group. There may be clubs that don't have a a cultural fan group like the BAME Hammers, Punjabi Rams, Bangla Bantam, Punjabi Wolves, but they may have Fans from those communities that are more than happy to get involved in existing supporter groups, or they don't feel the need to have one because the environment and the experience of those clubs are good. But if there are individuals that do feel like there's an issue with their club, you know, the, the fans for diversity campaign is is always happy to help have those discussions and almost challenge the clubs and look at. Can we do something about that? Can we work with the club? Can we work with the fans to, 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 to provide solutions to any issues that there may be at the club? Um, and listen, some clubs have, have got a massive reputation for being unwelcoming, for you know a historical reputation, for being racist, et cetera, et cetera. But one thing that I definitely do know is that all clubs, most clubs, really try to do everything, to go out of their way Make sure everyone who turns up, everyone who buys a ticket has a great experience. And I think that's encouraging. But I think the fans can also contribute to that, can help, you know, to make make sure that that environment is is one that is inclusive, welcoming. Because listen, let's face it, everyone can do more in terms of being helpful, being more welcoming, even if it's just opening the door and smile, because when you're at a football match and you're standing next to someone, It could be their first ever game. It could be the first time that they're there and they're not actually sure what it's like. So for me, it's just about being mindful um, and always doing your best to make people comfortable with any environment is important.
1: Fantastic. And okay, I'll just give so the the website for the FSA is the FSA.org.uk and their Twitter handle is we are the FSA. Okay, superb. Thank you very much. So Anwar, what is next for for you?
0: Well, immediately next for me is Dagenham and redbridge at a weekend. So yeah. I'm playing against my old team here at Aldershot, and I'm I'm buzzing to have fans back in the FSA have an AGM next week. We've got a webinar discussing why fan groups need an LGBT um, fan group next Wednesday. And then the Christmas period, there's going to be full of fixtures. Um, So a busy month coming up, but you know what, listen, the future, no one knows, you know, what the future holds, but um, I'm positive about that. And for me, it's just about enjoying what I do, working hard, and hopefully, you know, if there's an opportunity to do more, um, get more people involved in a campaign at Fans for Diversity, raise awareness around Fans for Diversity, you know, that, that's what I'm currently concentrating on. And um, hopefully, we can do that. And hopefully, generally, um, next year will definitely be better than the one we've just had.
1: Okay, superb. One, actually, Z, any last questions before we leave Anwar or Anwar leaves us?
2: No, I'm good, thank you. Cheers.
1: Okay, fair enough. Um, Anwar, listen, it's been fabulous talking to you. Um, I love your energy, enthusiasm, and I thank you on behalf of, I guess, listen, football fans and Asians and everyone everywhere for doing everything that you do because you're just a bundle of positive energy that the world needs right now. (laughs)
0: no listen i appreciate um i appreciate being on the show and i listen i think it's about working together we all need to support each other we all need to help each other um there's a lot wrong with the world but there's there's so many good people out there that are doing good stuff and i think we need to acknowledge that but listen, a privilege to to be on the show and i hope to see you both very
1: soon fantastic and rodin thank you very much